Mr. Harlan Ellison. I'm delighted to be here, and I'm coming to you tonight live from the underground glitter palace high atop the Moshedalak uh, Hotel here in Upper Los Angeles, bringing you the music of Ramon Rivera and his snappy dappy teeny bopper orchestra featuring Ursula Le Guin on lute. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you witchcraft. You think me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome, everybody, to a new year of Area 51 recordings of Sci-Fi Saturday Night, the only podcast to guarantee to remain carbon neutral for the entire year. Hey, everybody, I'm your vaccinated host, The Dome. This is episode 507. That's right, 507. You know what that means? We've wasted 506 episodes. And we're going for another. So tonight it's another mask mandated semi-quarantine evening here in Area 51. And in this episode, true crime in outer space. I have no idea what that means, but we're going to get to that and a bunch of other shit tonight. Also in the Area 51 broadcast facility tonight, sitting in at the Area 51 help desk and snicker snack bar, it's Commander Cam. Uh... Back from a week of enforced vacation uh, last week, and now he's back working full time at his ugly job, and back here doing this as well. How are you tonight, Commander? Oh, I'm doing quite fine. It's nice. Got my feet up on the bar, seeing as there's nobody, and really there has not been anybody to the snack bar in a long time. I think you're you're you were not getting the advertising out here to get people to the snack bar. Uh. You know, you know, I, I could blame I could blame the guys from the, the uh, Upper Valley Comic Expo for that for not getting the advertising out properly, but we'll talk more about that later. Um, it's been it's been an interesting week here in Area 51 this week, uh, with a lot of coughing and choking and stuff, and 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 uh, a case of breakthrough for me. But I'm all better, and I hope you're all better too. Uh, we had an interesting book this week that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, you got the same book that I got, didn't you? Well, I mean, uh, besides the Necronomicon that I normally read from. Yep. I yes, did. yes. We, we can skip this week's reading from the Necronomicon. Oh, okay. I, I find it. I know we're, we're pressed for time this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I'm talking about the book we, we had to read this week for, for the show. Uh, it was really an interesting book uh the book is, is written by by our guest uh, uh and we may as well bring him in at this point uh our guest this week is a writer who's maybe one of the more prolific writers we've had on in a while uh one of the more interesting writers and uh well I'll, I'll, we'll get to why he's as interesting as he is uh ladies and gentlemen boys and girls it's 
Declan Finn. Declan, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I got the name right, didn't I? Declan Finn, yes. Okay, cool. Uh, because, you know, it's it's one of those odd names, unlike Jim Smith, which I can screw <laughs> up repeatedly. But, uh, um, and the name of the book is White Ops. And it's a book that in many ways is uh, kind of defies description because it sounds like it should be a spy novel, which it's not. It sounds... it. It reads like the beginning of a space opera, which it's also not. And you start reading it, and it's like uh, hard to describe what it is. Um, Cam, give it a shot. Oh, sure. Just throw it to me. I don't ah! know, because you know that it. No, no, no. You, you know that as we were talking earlier, that I have plenty of different ways of describing it there was uh, there is there was to me there were some flavors of babylon 5 there because were. you do also get the get the space station and a lot of the competing alien interests on there so it's it's a story like that as well you also you know have a lot of other interesting stuff going on there um it's like you said it it, it i don't know if it's you it's it's not something it's but it's a whole lot of things it's a whole lot of things that it's perfectly okay it's to say kind of it like a james patterson on babylon 5 kind of deal where there's a whole yeah. lot of it's a, it's a whole lot of, of mystery and, and 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 political intrigue and the whole and, and Declan, am I getting any part of this right? Well, I thought you hit it on the head with space opera. Um, okay, cool. That's pretty much what I was shooting for when I wrote it. Um, especially, and yes, you're right. Uh, one of my major influences in my writing was J. Michael Straczynski for Babylon 5. He's, cool. I, I think I have more of his books about or on writing than anyone else. Uh, I And when I've been talking about it on the social media Michigas, um, 90% of the time I just do the short elevator Hollywood pitch of, well, if Bayon Books wrote Babylon 5, you'd get this. <laughs> yep, yep, that's a fair statement. You know, we're, we're going to have the top-down strategy from people who are on a space station. Uh, we're going to have boots on the ground guys from a technically, well, a spec ops unit, hence white ops as opposed to black ops. It's also white ops because there's not a lot of black hanging around when you throw that many nukes. But uh, that's another conversation. And yeah, it was a matter of, this, this was very much throwing in everything and the kitchen sink I think I hit somebody with a kitchen sink during one of these books. Just don't ask me to narrow down which one. So, so where did this come from for you? I mean, because the, in, in looking at the, the kind of books that you've written and the number of books that you've written over the past 10 years, this is not necessarily right in your wheelhouse unless I'm missing something. Oh, no, no, you're, you're not missing anything. Okay, uh, cool. Uh, I've, I have either 
somewhere around 30 novels that are either published or about to or in the or in the queue to be published uh, most of them are urban fantasy horror uh, the others are thrillers and the funny thing is this was actually my first book uh, when I started writing in 1998 uh, I don't even want to think about that math I started writing this story it was called tales of the rangers um that was before i realized how generic the term rangers is everybody's used them uh i even got to the point where i was making fun of it in my own drafts of well do you want to talk about texas rangers the law enforcement texas rangers the football team the martian raid rangers the six british military units called rangers that sort of thing um so it wound up as white ops made more sense it was more distinctive and um to be perfectly honest with it i wrote it when i was 16 and uh i blame this book for giving me writer brain uh the short version. okay what does that what does that mean writer's brain <laughs> yeah writer brain where you are where one is compelled to write because that's the way to get the voices in your head to shut up I, I often describe writing as being legalized schizophrenia and it's one of those <laughs> yes I need a notebook by my bed so I can write down ideas so the ideas will leave me alone so I can actually get to sleep at three in the morning um, and frankly I was going to do a short story in this universe and then it spiraled which has been the entire story of my writing career uh, this one short story honest turned into four novels which were over 400 pages each and then i realized i had even screwed that up because um i was 16. i did not know that when people when people in publishing count book you know give sizes of books they don't count pages they count words and i had just been working on microsoft word on eight and a half by 11 single spaced pages oh good the, lord <laughs> with the default small margins uh so i'm not entirely certain how big the original uh four four or five book series was but it's like well as orson scott card says the first million words of writing are practice i think i got that in within the first 15 months unfortunately by the time i was done i had writer brain and ideas just wouldn't shut the hell up and leave me alone and so I'm a writer. So you got this book done and then you put it aside and started doing other things? Well, I did um, three or four other books, thrillers mostly. Then I came back, I reread the book and went, wow, this is garbage. This is highly derivative. Uh, <laughs> none of this is none of this reads like i had it in my head this needs to be reworked so and i was doing other things at the time like high school 
college. And I said, okay, fine, I'll get back to it. And every time I went back to it and reread it, it's like, oh my God, this is terrible. I'm going to rewrite it. Uh, and when I started self-publishing in 2012, I worked on other books. I published other books because this, this one was special, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And well, your I, first book is always special. There's this, there's, oh, this, yeah. there's this place in the back of your head where you go, you know that idea that I had? That thing. Someday I'm going to get back to that. Exactly. And someday I'm going to take that, that, get back on that goddamn horse. Because that one was the one that, that got me, got my juices flowing. Exactly. And, uh, well, I, I finally... I finally got to a point where I could no longer edit it, so it must be good. Otherwise, it's like either it must be good or I, I'm just fed up. I like to believe that, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I sent it around to a publisher, uh, Tuscany Bay. They said it was good, so it must be. And um, here we are. It's coming out, what, January 18th, so Tuesday. And how do you feel about it? I feel relieved. Like, <laughs> yes, it's finally out. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, yeah, but you see, that's a lie. And we both know it because I'm, I'm going through your blog. <laughs> and as I'm going through your blog, I'm reading, ah, but there's a book two and a book three. Mm -hmm. So you ain't relieved. You're just postponed. <laughs> well, I don't have to worry about these first three. The next, how many are there? I've got 13 books outlined. You know, those I have to worry about. The first three oh, I don't have to worry anymore. God. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that, all right, with my other books, I've only recently started to outline within the last three to four years. And I have noticed one thing about outlines. Uh, no outline makes no no outline survives first contact with actually writing the bloody thing. So I have an outline to 13 books. With any luck, I'll knock one or two off along the way. Okay, all right. All right. So now's a good time to stop talking about the book itself mm -hmm. and talk a little bit about your process. Because I think it's only fair with the amount of books that you've actually written to this point over the past 10, 12 years. Uh, to, and you've alluded to uh, the amount of books that you have, quote, in the hopper. Which then leads one to believe that for every book that's currently out, you have a pile of notebooks. Of of outlines and sketch outs of of maybe three times that amount. Well, it's only another thirty uh, or so, so uh, it's not three <laughs> times. So yet, um, as far as my process goes, I've only outlined about half of the books that I have produced. Um, the other half has been a matter of, I spend a lot of time on character creation. Um, 
like I said, uh, a lot of the books I have on writing are by J. Michael Straczynski, one of which is the role-playing game for Babylon 5, and he had a character generation sheet where yeah, it basically yeah. goes down to, you know, what does your character do? What does their parents do? What did their great-grandparents do? Right, 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 right. So, I remember that book, actually. Um, but by the time I was done generating each character that way, uh, they were fully fleshed out in my head, and all I had to do was drop them into the situation, wind them up, and let them go. Um, and after that, it's a matter of making sure that I spelled everything right when I go back through, because <laughs> I had a... Well, before I was married, I had this slight problem of... I wrote until I fell asleep, which, on the one hand, great for productivity. Bad for figuring out what the hell I was trying to say the next morning. When I'm reading the sentence, I wrote it 2 in the mor 2 a.m., and going, what did I mean to say? Because this sentence doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so... That's uh, fair. That's, you know, and I get that, yeah. Yeah. Then, then, then my wife. Then I then I got married, and my wife insists on seeing me during daylight hours. Oh, so uh, I hate when that happens. Yeah, I know. And uh, <laughs> so, so I'm on a nine to five schedule, and I, it's it works. I, I get between two and ten thousand words done, depending on the day and if I have the right soundtrack. And it's a matter of you know wind wind up the characters and let them go. I when I have an outline. I don't have full paragraph of details per chapter. I have, these are the plot points I want to hit. Let's see how I go along the way. And with, I, in most of the time, uh, my process is quote unquote, seat of the pants. So that, that's a lot of it. And I also subscribe to the, oh, who is it? Was it Mickey Spillane or Raymond Chandler who said, Whenever the plot gets slow, I send somebody through the door with a gun. <laughs> so there's that a lot of that going. things up. Oh, yeah. And that's how I tend to approach a lot of my books. There are some of my novels where, in fact, one of my first outlined novels, it's called Hellspawn, it's urban fantasy. I had one entire actually two chapters that were nothing but uh, policemen walking the beat, investigating, and by the time I got to that point, I'm reading it going, I'm bored. Let's make this easy. I'm going to blow up his car. You know, so that, that might give you a sense of how I approach books. Well, I, I think it's only fair from, from a writer's standpoint that when the writer gets bored, that the reader would get bored as well. So, you know, I mean, from that from that point of view, there, there's a sense of fairness in in the, the aspect of production. So yeah. <laughs> I get where you're coming from with this. So has, has your writing process always been this kind of almost laissez-faire attitude of, I got a bunch of guys, I'm just going to throw the dice and see what happens with them? More or less, um, I have had to pare down some of my uh, writing. My, I have two publishers. One does urban fantasy, and Tuscany Bay is doing the sci-fi. 
with um, my other publisher, Silver Empire Press, uh, they, they have basically said, you know, we love your ensemble cast, but could you just limit it to two or three main characters and maybe a supporting character or three? It's like, okay, fine, I can do that. Um, because my side characters have this tendency to get entire short stories to themselves. Um, but, well, you read White Ops. As you can see, my characters spiral. It's the story of my writing career. They do. They, they most certainly do. I mean, I sat there and I, I kept thinking to myself as I'm reading this, and, and we're going to go no spoilers here, but I kept thinking to myself as, as I'm reading this book, okay, and then this happens and you go, are you shitting me? Okay. And then the logical conclusion is no. Wait, what? Okay. And and I literally sat there and Cam and I would just kind of text back and forth as we're reading this going, no, wait, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, is that he's fair, not Cam? kidding. No, no, he's not kidding. Because I'm going back to your text. To our text conversations and minus the little spoiler details that was pretty much the conversation i hope that's all in a good context <laughs> well yeah i mean sure i mean why wouldn't it be i mean you know but it's it's the kind of thing where you you're sitting there and you're going and at one point we just kind of went yeah babylon five i got that <laughs> and that was fairly early on by the way uh, which which I thought was a great reveal, uh, along with uh, a very, very sneaky little Heinlein quote in there as well, which I thought was just really, really funny. OK, well, I, I when I approached this final rewrite, I figured it was after um, I believe it was Joe Straczynski talking about NASA, because apparently NASA wanted a construction vehicle for space and they're going through and it's like you know we've got this perfect design problem somebody else has the patent to it and it's this yo-yo named Straczynski because it's based off of his star fury fighter design and it's like uh so Mr. Straczynski could we use this for constructing space stations and stuff it's like and his response was Sure, as long as you call it a Star Fury. At which point it's like, okay, this this is going to be a thing, isn't it? So it wound up with a development of, and I don't think I'm spoiling too much for book two. I don't think I mentioned it in book one, where it's they have walking tanks that are called Heinlein armored uh, vehicles, or you know, <laughs> it's like. So why, you know, the, you have aliens saying, why is this armored infantry division, sorry, why is this heavy infantry called Spartan 6? What happened to the first five? Like, yeah, it's called Halo, don't even ask. Don't ask, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I was very close to naming um, the space station uh, Alexandria, five where everyone's going 
it's Alexandria five. What happened to the first four? There isn't the first four. We have a bunch of sci-fi nerds who developed the station and they were getting cute. But uh, I cut that out. <laughs> well, it's interesting because throughout this book, you have a lot of references like that. And I remember that in the book, you do mention the Society for Creative Anachronisms. In fact, they get mentioned quite a bit. But I'm thinking some of the some of your sci-fi references like Halo are because keep in mind, um, I don't think this is a spoiler for folks that are going to read this. This book is over 300 years in the future. To me, Halo is probably a creative anachronism to whatever they play 300 years in the future. Yeah, it's like that is like that's like kids today going and handing them the original Pong and saying, here. Have fun, and, and 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 looking at this and going, what the? F- you played this and you enjoyed it, and going, yep, yeah, this was tons of fun. Enjoy, and going, and going, no, no, we'll just go back to playing Halo. Thank you. You know, it's I look at this when you're because you, you talked about this being the Society for Creative Anachronisms is mentioned in here, but I'm thinking all of your your pop culture references are creative anachronisms because. Dear Lord, they've got to be playing far better by then. God, I hope so. But uh, same yeah. here. Yeah, I, I I was just having fun at that point where it's like, okay, how how crazy can we get? Um, yeah, I swear, I swear, no drugs were involved in the creation of this novel. Okay, nobody believes that. Just <laughs> telling you up front, <laughs> nobody believes that. Jay. Nice try. <laughs> I, I don't know. That that almost makes it sound a little more interesting to me. <laughs> That's right. Frankly, it's more fun if we all know the truth that, you know, no, nobody believes that. Um, <laughs> moving on, if we're if we're all going to have our fingers and legs crossed as we're talking here, um, going through your website, <laughs> uh, I came across something that I thought was really interesting. Um, you made a reference uh, to something going on in your Patreon account. And I don't know if that's still happening or not, but I want to talk about it, whether it is or not. Uh, you make a reference to uh, a friend of mine who's been on the show before he passed, the late, great Harlan Ellison. Ah, yes. Yes. Um, and and Harlan, you 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 refer to what he did as a trick, which is he would sit in the window of a bookstore in uh, Berkeley, California, and type out short stories on a typewriter, mm-hmm. and then and and then uh, tape them to the window so that people could read them as he was writing them. And you referred to this as a trick. It wasn't a trick, by the way. It was to win a bet. <laughs> and uh, we actually spoke to him about it on a, on the show here uh, maybe eight or nine years ago. Uh, and he, he thought it was hilarious that we actually remembered that. Um, and then you and then you go on on your Web page to talk about you doing the same thing on Patreon. So talk a little bit about that, if you would. What I'm doing on my Patreon account is I am going through my current book. Um, it is not related to White Ops because That's okay. we're well, I'm waiting for White Ops to filter through because I 
made one mistake with uh, Silver Empire. I kept dropping books on them as soon as I finished them. And um, when they have five books at one time, they get a little backed up. And, you know, it, it's not like the last two years have anything has come up the last two years. I mean, everything's been perfectly normal, right? But um, you've noticed. Yeah, I, I've noticed. <laughs> and so instead of dropping more books on Tuscany Bay, what I've done is I'm picking up a sequel series to uh, another another quartet I did. Uh, the It was a series of vampire novels called Love at First Bite. Um, yes, I did see the George Hamilton movie. Um, Which is it, a classic, by the really way. Is. It but, really Yeah, is. anyway. And, um, <laughs> you know, I've had people asking, so when is when are you going to bring these characters back? You know, you're going to bring them back, right? Like, okay, fine. I'm not doing anything right now. I, I'm only working on four projects at the moment. So I will bring back these characters in a sequel series. Uh, basically, I had two main characters and... They were going to get they were going to date each other one way or the other. And it, that didn't happen to book four because I do not subscribe to the urban fantasy trope of, yes, everybody meets and they fall in love in the space of a novel. No. Uh, but I'm fast forwarding a few years. I'm getting them married. It's going to be a series called Honeymoon from Hell. And the first <laughs> book I'm going to post one chapter at a time uh, to my Patreon account. Uh, my original schedule was going to be one chapter per week. Um, but now that I'm already on chapter 25, I figure maybe I should probably up that. <laughs> and I'm going to load them up as I finish them. Uh, I have been told to slow down because... You know, I've been told to slow down by my publisher because they can only publish so many books at a time. I've been told to slow down by some of my readers because they can only read so many chapters at a time. So it's so I'm, I'm trying to modulate my writing output versus how fast do I throw these at my readers. So wait a minute, you're putting up a chapter a week and they're saying that's too fast. Uh, well, they're because. Because seriously, I I finished I finished your entire book in a week. I think your your readers are ones they need to up their game. Seriously, nope. you know. <laughs> yeah, well, my, my my problem is for the first week, I figured it's the first week. I'll I'll start by doing a chapter a day. <laughs> oh, okay, that might have been a bit painful. Okay, all right, take that back. I thought you were going to chapter a week. I'm going seriously. Come on, up your game here. You can handle it. Chapter day, that might be a bit much. All right, I'll give yeah. I'll give him a pass. <laughs> and, and since all the chapters are two to three thousand words each, you know, people have to work. Yeah, they do. They do, and they can't do like they, they, they can't do like Doom and I do and just consume books constantly. Dear God, I wish. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I'm not sure where to go with this. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> I'll be honest. Well, there's one. You. Well, there's one thing I wanted to bring up with Declan because he was talking about his character creation. But again, I I referenced um, uh, 
Straczynski's um, mm-hmm. um, Babylon 5. But there is something else to this as well. It's the number of alien races you created. And I'm just going to go through the short list of ones that I was writing these down as I remembered them. So if I missed a bunch, and I know I have because there's like the four major, and I think I've already missed one of those, but I'm going to go through Renar, Tori, Soivon, Pharmacoy, Zari, Aranol. That's just the first six I could think of as, we, as we're sitting here talking. Um, and I know there's more that I've missed. When you read these races, some more than others, but they all sound like they're fairly well-developed. Again, because you, you said how you, you did your character creation, but you know, I'm just curious, how did you develop these races so that they have the depth that they do? They have, you know, there's there's almost a language to how each one's names are formed. You know, is how do you come up with that? Because I know there's some people, uh, somebody that's very de- near and dear to this show, uh, she's an illustrator, and she has this little uh, game she plays. It's literally a game book for artists and illustrators where you t- take a set of dice and you roll it and you keep rolling it. And then it gets you into these all these wonderful things. So she's put together with her illustrations some amazing looking alien creatures just by rolling the dice and then going, OK, I got this result. So I this body, these arms, these legs, these eyes, this brain is located here. And now I have to draw it. And I'm just curious, how did you create these species? How did, was it, I mean, again, was it from that that game book you were talking about earlier? Or was it, how do you build out such an interesting grouping of care of alien races? That comes from the rest of the story. Um, I mentioned when I was 16, I did, originally did this, uh, I originally did, wrote this out. Um, a lot of the depth came later, in part because when I went to college, I was trying to figure out, okay, what is the best major to help me with writing? In retrospect, what I should have done was learn how to become an electrician. That way I would still write books, but then I'd be killing people with faulty wiring. Um, however, what I wound up doing was I wound up going into history and things and various alien cultures I've more or less stolen from uh, from history to some degree. Uh, for example, the Renar, uh, they're based off of the medieval caste system, which had, uh, you know, the priests, the soldiers, the peasants, and uh, later on, late medieval, you had merchants. So you had a fourfold caste system. And from there, I had to go, all right, what does the planet look like that developed these people? <laughs> and I went from there. Um, I wound up developing the Renar themselves um, in part because I, I was looking through science fiction as I had it. And it's like, all right, I need some, you know, we, one, we don't have to stick with casual flesh tones. They're aliens, so every bone crest was basically designed off of some kind of rock. Their skin tone was something metalish and with two-tone eyes, uh, mostly to reflect personalities. Um, That was my own little touch. I did not put that as canon in the book because 
that sounds more urban fantasy to me uh, with the Tauri and the Soivin. I wanted two, el two empires that basically expanded into each other. Um, that I more or less stole from the 1800s with, well, the British Empire ran into the Zulu Empire as they were both expanding and you had a nice little war there. Uh, only in this case, what I wound up doing was, yeah, the two empires expanded into each other and they haven't stopped trying to kill each other for the last 300 years or so. You know, and basically I worked along those lines. Um, the Tauri uh, aliens look like six foot six velociraptors because I just thought that was cool. Things like that. Um, and I'm not going to argue with that. You know, that if you know, that is perfectly fine reasoning as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and um, heck, there are some things like the Soivin where it's. I have an odd mind that does that sometimes turns into an information sponge and it's like, all right, so I want I want an alien race that has an endoskeleton and an exoskeleton because if it just has an exoskeleton, it's going to be mush inside. And if it just has an endoskeleton, well, everybody's got an endoskeleton. Even the, even Arnold Schwarzenegger, the T-800 has an endoskeleton. So, and I was off to the races there, and somehow they got nicknamed crickets by humans, just because. <laughs> it's what humans do. It's what we're good at. <laughs> this is true, especially in the English language. We can take perfectly normal, inoffensive words from other languages and make them insults. We're good at that. But it's interesting that you, that you start, so you, as opposed to some other authors that I've asked this question to, you started with the culture. You said, okay, here's a culture in history. I'm going to apply this to an alien race. And then I'm going, that is my basis. I think this is, correct me if I'm wrong, Dom, but I think this is the first time I've ever had somebody say, I'm going to start with the culture and then build around that the alien. I think it's a very interesting way to process it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and, and because of that, it leads to a richness within the characterization, uh, it, uh, not a richness, it, it lends a flavor to the characterization that's different than most authors give it, uh, which which leads me to um, which leads me to say <laughs> that that's what makes this book different from a lot of what we've read to this point. Um, what makes White Ops different? And and Cam, you and I have been talking about this a lot this week. And we've been talking about the many things that as as we've been reading it, we've been going, oh, my God, this is so strange. This is so weird. You know, there are so many things that we're picking out that we're going, OK, this is like this. This is like this. This is like this. And the human race, the human condition within this book, uh, the human characters within this book are so um, 
it's hard for me to describe what they are because they're so uh, rigid in many ways. But it's the other races, the other characters within this book that are so different, that are so differently formed, that make this book very different, make this book very interesting, that make this book something different, something worth going after, and something that uh, it's well worth taking a, taking a risk with. It's a, it's a long book. It's a fun book. It's an interesting book. And uh, I dare say, much like a lot of stuff that, that uh, Declan, that you're putting out there, because of the way in which you're writing it, it's not your run-of-the-mill stuff. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> And I can't thank you enough for joining us here tonight. Uh, the name of the book is White Ops. The guy who wrote it is Declan Finn. And uh, it's book one, evidently, of 74. Or at least <laughs> five. <laughs> Possibly as many as 13. We're not sure yet. But clearly, we're going to hear more about it. Declan, thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. Thank you for having me. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is made possible with the support of GraniteCon and Double Midnight Comics, Plastic City Comic Con, the Upper Valley Comic Expo, Dreamforge Anvil and Dreamforge Magazine, and Comic Art House. If you're looking for a great gift idea, may we suggest Sci-Fi Saturday Night's anthology, My Peculiar Family available on Amazon. The audiobook is also available on Audible. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. Check out all of his amazing work at robwattsonline.com. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Their discography is available on Bandcamp. Thank you so much, Jojo. This is Dome saying shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. So unless it's daytime, good night, everyone. That sounds good. That sounds perfect.